Hello and welcome to Burst the Bubble UK, the podcast that attempts to burst the bubble between ethnic communities and promote interfaith conversation. My name's Lawrence. I'm joined by Arsene, a PhD student at uh, BART and the London and a volunteer for MentorWise, and Rabbi Bensi uh, Tsudak, a leader within Chabad, a Jewish organization worldwide uh, that helps to make Jewish life easier. Um, so living in sort of the secular Western world, um, while also being a practicing Muslim or a Jew, do you feel that there's a contrast between your daily life and your religious life? Go ahead. I don't necessarily think so, actually. Um, Islam is a way of life through submission to God. So I think that it's easy enough to kind of um, integrate that into daily life. Um, and in some ways, I feel almost luckier than some people, perhaps in the Middle East, who don't have the same luxuries that I do, like freedom of speech, for example, the ability to practice your religion freely. So I can take the time out during my day to go and pray, do my um, daily prayers. Um, I think maybe one thing growing up as a Muslim when I was younger, that may have been like a contrast, not to my own kind of um, daily life, but to that of my peers. So I grew up in Kent. Um, and I was basically one of the only Muslims at school. So there was a contrast in our understanding of kind of what socializing meant and what we did in our free time. So there was that, that kind of struggle growing up because very quickly on people um, chose to do different things in their free time. So that, that was a contrast for me. Um, and I think something that probably a lot of Muslims struggle with, especially if they are the minority in where, in where they live. Um, but at the moment, I. I'm quite happy with how I can practice my religion as a Muslim um, in the West, and I'm com- comfortable in doing so. What do you think? Yeah, look, I, I think it's, it's, we're very lucky. I mean, for me as a Jew, if you look throughout Jewish history, we're probably the first time in many, many years where Jews, wherever they are, I'm talking about many and maybe 2,000 years, where Jews, wherever they live around the world, in large numbers or in a community, significant numbers are are free to practice. When I was growing up, it we, you know, we had cousins who were stuck behind the Iron Curtain in Russia. We couldn't even speak to them. We could not get in touch with them with letters or anything else. And they had zero access to religion. It was forbidden. My grandfather escaped after um, being sent to Siberian camps for practicing his religion and uh, other members of my family were killed for that. And um, today, you could just practice freely. So first of all, I mean, contrasting that with like you were saying, other people in other countries today don't have the freedom or Jewish people in history who didn't have till, till almost 20 years ago. So I think once you're looking at that backdrop, any difficulties or challenges that we might have in the West or in England or other free countries, you know, when you look at the history or what other people are going through, you're like you're embarrassed to even say that there's a problem or there's a contrast. But on a deeper, more philosophical level, I think when you look at religion and daily life as two separate things, I think that's already uh, a, a, a coming from a different angle because at least the way I see my religion, is my religion is guiding me as a human being living in the world. It's not two separate things. And therefore, 
Um, it's not just in the synagogue or uh, in the mosque. I don't know. I'm not going to say my philosophy on the Islam or, or, or Christianity, but as a Jew, I'm talking. So the idea of the religion is you're each human being in this, is here in this world for their unique purpose. And their unique purpose cannot be fulfilled by any other human being who has ever lived or who is alive in the world. You have your unique mission, your unique purpose in life, wherever your destiny guides you. And every step of the way, all your interactions are there for a purpose. And your religion, whatever it may be, uh, guides you to make those right decisions and be that, that, you know, like a link between heaven and earth. There's a heavenly religion, a religion that came down from God, you know, instructions from God and how you as a human being, an earthly being, should conduct yourself in this life. So to say that there's, how, how do they interact, the two interact, really the two are one. Because by interacting with the world and, and being, making the world a better place is what every human being's, uh, um, uh, you know, every purpose is, I mean, Hassan embarrassed me almost because before the show started, we were talking about, uh, you can say what, well, you know, your PhD student, she's hopefully developing a drug that's going to save so many people's lives. I don't see that as anything separate from religion. That is, that's guided by our faith, by belief. So in my opinion, uh, the way I would look at it, when you're going to the lab, it's holy like going to the to the mosque. It's ho you're you're actually doing God's work. So it's not that there's two separate, uh, you know, disconnected things. Your interactions on a day to day level, and even if you're not somebody who's developing a cure to a disease or a medicine or something else, being another human, interacting with other human beings in a way that makes their day better, in a way that just people are just happier because they saw you today. That's 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 God's work. So, uh, uh, so within that specifically, so do you think that um, technology um, and other sort of modern developments like that, do you think that is um, harmful to your religion, um, or do you think that it enhances your religion? Um, in terms of technology, I think nowadays it would be impossible to live without it, and I'm. Uh, in favor of all modern developments because I think it can play a huge role in allowing you to develop your own belief. You can connect with so many people across the world that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do without it. And I think that's really important. Um, and I think also as people of faith, people who practice their religion, it's important to use that in a positive way. Um, I, for instance, for me, it was really important to like keep up with I don't know, YouTubers or people who are social media influencers. Um, for me, that was important, you know, to connect with people that you can relate to because when you can't relate to others around you, you feel that need to connect with others. Um, and yeah, I think technology has way more pros than cons so for me. You don't know it helped you connect with other people who are yeah. religious. Uh, so who are religious or who shared other aspects of my identity or faith or you know so you growing up in kent yes did you connect with other muslims from other places on the internet uh, yeah for example my friends in london you know even simple things like facetime for example allows me to connect with family members who i can't physically visit who are in different parts of the world who you don't always like physically yeah. have the ability to go and see um and i i think that's a blessing because there's people grandparents who don't who aren't able to see their grandkids 
grow up and it's really sad for various reasons um whether that be war or um other other forms of like upheaval in several parts of the world like turkey for example right things like facetime and other means of connecting are really important not just for faith but for other other aspects of someone's like identity that sense of belonging family is really important for me i think i think i agree with you by the way i think on the same lines i think um this uh, i don't understand why but this is a little bit some people view the internet as a threat i view the internet as one of the best things that has happened to judaism or any religion for that matter um but as a jew speaking from something as simple as first of all keeping in touch with people so i actually my background uh one of my first jobs was a creative director for the first jewish website on the internet and we had people who could never were so remote there was no connection to a synagogue we had asked the rabbi at that time probably now today many many more because they have millions of of users now it's chabad.org the chabad website um we had two three hundred people asking questions every day that they would never be able to ask face to face to a rabbi some of these questions were life and death situations with people going through mental um issues and they had professionals working on it that would never have been possible without the internet um kosher food for example there is an app that i could find on my phone where it will tell me the closest place to buy a kosher sandwich anywhere in the world it would never would never been uh, possible uh and the, the the possibilities are endless i think you know some people probably have like a view internet as a bit of a a threat but i think it's what internet has done as it's enhanced life and reality to a completely new level so therefore everything that exists is enhanced including the negative so yes there was you know people say the ne- the internet's terrible look at all the hatred on the internet or look at whatever else you know the people getting uh, you know trapped or scammed or hurt etc etc all of those things kind of existed on a much smaller scale it just amplified everything so just like it amplified the negative it amplified the positive even a greater at a greater level um i think what could be seen as a threat especially now is for example things like artificial intelligence because people are working to develop that further and i think for everyone not just religious people the thought that humans are creating something that that mm. has higher intelligence than potentially we have yeah is terrifying so what do you feel about that do you think that's a threat to faith communities or humans in you know, a lot, general a lot of people the immediate threat i think that we have to deal with and i'm talking to younger people is i think the the jobs mm. and you know people today choosing a career that they're that they're studying for may end up finding 10 years down the line that 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 career is completely automated mm. so i think the first you know what you're talking about is you know robots taking over the world i'm not you know it's it's not as it's not in the immediate term what's really in the immediate term is there are people students choosing courses choosing uh, things that they're going to study and really that has to be at the forefront of people's minds when you're in school make sure that you know ha- that there's a um someone i know he um is a, a, a guy called uh, Daniel Suskin and Richard Suskin the father and son i think they lecture in oxford uh they they wrote a book about this i think one of the things he told me is the safest job today is a barber 
because it's physical, you talk, etc. But uh, you know that's a bit radical. But so many jobs that people are putting so much effort into today to study and to have the background for, you need, I think, you know, people be, need to be able to prepare for that. That's not a religious thing. That's just a human thing. Um, but you know, look, look, we've we've come so far as humanity. Uh, you know, the world has changed so much in the past two centuries that. Um, life as it was 200 years ago is impossible with today's technology, but life adapts. And I think we will adapt. I think as humans will adapt. The question is if we adapt at the same, the same speed as, uh, as technology. As technology. Yeah. But it will, it will free us up. It will give us, it will probably make quality of life better. It will, uh, you know, there's, there's a, tech there, there were scientists are working on, on, um, you know, on looking at aging as a as a disease and curing aging. You know, which you know, it's, the so the world is going to change in an incredible ways. It will not be recognizable, but I think we're going to adapt. I'm not. I'm not worried. Now, one 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 interesting thing about technology and religion. Um, I think I was talking to your friend Jonathan yesterday, and he mentioned Shabbat. Are you familiar with what Shabbat yes. is? Yeah. So Shabbat, for those listeners who may not know is the sabbath so for jews it's on friday night until from su sunset on friday until uh sun uh, sundown on until uh, nightfall on saturday we have a day of rest it's a day where you spend with your family spend in, in spiritual pursuits etc and you don't use we don't use technology nothing now people say that that is incredibly difficult we, we're using our phones the whole time and uh perhaps the internet has become a threat to Shabbat because people feel the need to, to, to use their phones. They can do everything else besides being on the phones. And I take it the other way around. I say never be sh what the internet has done for Shabbat is incredible because never before have we been able to enjoy that day of rest as we are today because you never had that contrast. 200 years ago, you couldn't just, you know, the shtetl was the little village in where Jews used to live, it was called the shtetl, little remote villages, and they had everyone knew each other. Now, on Shabbat, you still saw the guy you were doing business with. You still saw the milkman you owed money to. You still saw the neighbor that you didn't get along with, or whatever life was. You couldn't unplug the world and just retreat and become yourself. You didn't need. Yes, there was no technology, but the big plus is that today we are so bombarded with technology. We actually need that detox time, and we actually can have a real day of rest by flicking off life almost for 24 hours, flick, shutting the world off. You couldn't shut the world off before you had technology. So I think the contrast of rest and non-rest. Um, the, the CEO of Netflix, if I'm not mistaken, could be misquoting, so I hope he doesn't uh, sue me for this, but he was asked, um, who is your competitor, your greatest competitor? You know what he said? He said, sleep. Wow. Now let that sink in for a minute. He said, sleep is his biggest competitor. That means people are dying to fall asleep. They've got a full day ahead, but he wants you to binge watch and be up all night. If, if that is, is a threat in a way. And that means that we actually do need that once in a while. You need that detox. And that, I think, is what the internet has made Shabbat much more valuable. I couldn't agree more about the unplugging. For me, going 
So we don't have a Shabbat equivalent as such, <coughs> but going away on spiritual retreats numerous times in a year for periods of about a week up to two weeks. I certainly spend less time on my phone, for example. I usually don't take my laptop with me. And the effect that I feel, that spiritual like awakening is incredible. And like you said, I don't think we would feel that effect if we didn't have technology to, to start with. Exactly, yeah, to, the contrast. to compare the two. So where do you, what do you do? What's a spiritual retreat? You go So we far? go to usually more remote areas, usually outside of the city, in nature. In, in England or? And it can be in England, it can be abroad, depending mm. on availability. Um, so in over Christmas, I went to Ireland in the countryside. And even last weekend, it wasn't a spiritual retreat, but I went away to the Cotswolds and just going outside of London, staying somewhere more quiet, like spending less time on my laptop checking emails and f on my phone and like not analyzing data on the computer it just felt so good so i think that to compare how you how you are day to day with technology of, of course it's important to kind of stay in the loop and use technology for positive things um it is also important to unwind sometimes and you can feel the difference between the two because of it. Because you, it's uh, I've never done this, but have right. you ever gone away for one of these breaks and completely disconnected? I so I take my phone with me, but I try not to spend time on it. So I'll check it for like half an hour at the end of the day and usually ignore most messages and try not to respond to people. And then mm. you get a big wow. backlog of things to respond to when you come back. I think uh, one of the presenters on LBC not sure who it is i think it was nick ferrari or one of them he tried this challenge mm. to do sh he's not jewish but he wanted to do shabbat for for a for one once and he describes the whole thing and he says i turned it on afterwards and i saw all the missed calls and i written emails and i said his last lines of the, ar of the article are i realized i didn't miss them at all <laughs> you know um but i think there's a bit of an anxiety that we have yeah. when we don't when we don't check our phones, so you know that's uh, that's why people probably find it very very challenging um, to to do that. Um, so, what what do you think is the hardest challenge in your daily life from a religious perspective? For me, it's it's being a visible Muslim. I think a day to day struggle that I have, and probably the biggest one. Uh, not because I find it difficult to wear the hijab, etc., but it's the weight and responsibility that comes with it. Um, so being recognized as a person who belongs to a f certain faith before anything else, before, you know, your the way you speak or the way you are, your personality, your intelligence, before any of that, someone, a stranger walking on the street who sees me or you in the way that you yeah. are they will identify you with a certain faith and sometimes um you just don't want to carry that weight for me for me that's the biggest uh, kind of struggle uh, because of the negative connotations around islam and the way that people see the faith i feel like i have a responsibility to change that and to break the stereotype and that can sometimes be very overwhelming but it could also i can appreciate that because you know there are parts of london that I feel very threatened going through. I was growing up as a kid, but I probably, I, I, it never really bothered me. I just took it I took it as a way of life. I did never, you know, people yelling it from cars or whatever. It never really, it never really jolted me. It was like, whatever, that's just like this, like the, just the way the world is. But the way you presented that sounded more like an empowerment 
than a than a burden, yeah. a responsibility. You said you used that word twice. Yes, interestingly. Do you feel empowered to be able to change that? Like I'm walking around the way I am, and therefore because I'm walking around this way, I am empowered to make a difference. Yeah, I I feel that that's one of the main kind of motivations that I have. And in fact, when I decided to wear the head covering, because I consider the hijab doesn't just mean a headscarf, it means a lot of things, your modesty, your character, and all these things. And men also have to practice hijab through different ways. Um, what does the word me, hijab mean? It means- When you say men have to practice hijab. So, so. it's like modesty, how right. you are, the ways that you are modest. So the head covering is a part of that modesty, but it's not, the definition and it's not it doesn't make you a non-muslim if you don't wear a headscarf so when i decided to wear one of course god orders you in the quran to cover your head and to wear loose clothing um but i even had objections from family members who thought that the burden would be too much for me to carry at the age of 16 that's when i decided to wear it so in kent i felt incredibly empowered because obviously i'd i'd moved to england as a as a child i was 10 when i came here from where from Turkey. So I learnt English and um, I was always kind of trying to catch up with my classmates. And when I eventually did, uh, I performed quite well in exams, etc. And that happened to me happened to be at the same time that I decided to wear a headscarf. So that for me was like super empowering. And I, I thought that God was like rewarding me with my exam results for doing something for him. Oh, wow. But then when I moved to London, obviously there's a lot more Muslim people, visi visibly Muslim people around. And then, you know, I just, I started to see kind of faults in people and things that I wasn't so keen on, like, well, I don't other, know, people other, like other, other, other Muslims, like littering mm. and, and wearing the headscarf and littering. I was like, how can you possibly do that? It was like baffling to me seeing that kind of behavior. So I was like, I have a responsibility to change people's views on that but but now I think sometimes like when you get older and you you enter the real world like working life or academia um, and there are fewer and fewer people who look like you um, going up up the academia ladder for me for example it becomes more and more difficult to be to have to prove yourself that I think for me is a challenge because some after how long when people who get to know you on your team you probably so, so after you start speaking and after you hold a conversation with people you can see that that changes but when you speak english without an accent for example you can kind of see the switch in people's uh -huh. thoughts and my um some of my colleagues have said that to me because we can we're good friends enough to have these conversations and he says like oh you look very you know you dress in a modern way um but you're not quite there yet because you still look like a Middle Eastern kind of person because of the head covering, for example, but you have very Western thoughts and you, you seem quite progressive. So people just have these opinions of you. But that's actually the opposite. You, when they say you say you're not quite there yet, it's almost as if you're aspiring yeah. to, to go that way, but you've chosen this. Did, yeah. did, when your family growing up, did, did anyone else wear the headscarf? So my mum did. My mum wore a headscarf, but she never, when I told her I wanted to also wear it, she was surprised like oh really are you sure i didn't think you would at, at mm. this age particularly i think culturally um turkish people wear it when they're slightly older or you right. know um it's different for for different cultures and it means different things to different people but for me it was that obviously modesty as well but i think modesty is more 
your actions than your outer appearance. So like you said, there is a sense of empowerment, especially when people assume that Muslim women are oppressed because they choose to cover themselves. When society reduces women to sexualized objects right. and you choose to cover for the sake of God, I think that is the opposite, the complete opposite of oppression. Yeah. But yeah, the the need or the feeling that I have to prove that to the world just gets tiring. That that for me is a challenge. Yeah, but I think every day, if you think about it, every day you probably interact with someone who you've pushed the needle just a little mm. bit. You've made that little bit of change. It, that, that if you think about that afterwards, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. What about you? Um, what about me? Challenges of being a religious person. Um, like I said earlier, you know, there are certain things that I that I, you know, went through as a as a kid, even today sometimes, but it, uh, you know, I'm used to it. And also I've, I've noticed that people judge everybody. It's not just from religion. Anyone who's a bit different than them, if you dress different, if you in a certain part of London and you have an accent from another part of London, they're going to judge you based just on, on which kind of British accent you have. People are very, very judgmental. I tried not to be in my own life. Mm -hmm. So that uh, helps me. Sometimes there are practical things like finding kosher food or things like that. But in general, um, again, I think it's about perspective, how how we view things. So you can be going through it and oh, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge or it's a problem or it's difficult. But actually, when you realize, you know, if I think once, like you said, it's a similar like once you believe that you're standing for something and that there's something that you are for and there's something that you stand for and there's something that you that there's a value behind you. Uh, so then whatever it is you you go through, uh, whatever challenges they go through, they, they don't seem so challenging as for somebody else who's not who either is not uh, who's not from your mindset or someone who does what you're doing but doesn't have that 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 goal that that vision that mission once you have that you know the purpose there's a there's a purpose why i'm doing this you know if you if you're running a marathon i'm doing this to get fit you know you don't of course anything you you're starting you're finding a drug right oh it's so terrible you poor thing you're sitting in the lab and nothing's working yeah, but one day I'm going to have the breakthrough. You know, no one thinks, oh, poor me, I'm, I'm going to have to go to the lab every day. So if you've got that perspective of your religion, then the difficulties don't feel difficult anymore, uh, you know. So I don't, if you ask me, I, I saw this question on the way. I, was, I didn't even know what to answer, really. There are technical things, but it doesn't, you know, very insightful the way you were saying that. I think that was beautiful what you said and I think if, if, if there's any purpose of this podcast what you just said about the hijab is, is incredible thank you very much both for your time yeah. um, really interesting conversation um, yeah thank you very much thank it's you been great thank you for having us oh.